if travel is about learning about yourself and the world, you know, there's you can't really screw it up, right? I mean, you you end up in the wrong city that turns out to be a great experience. You get scammed and then you learn a lesson. There's nothing like wrong. Everything is just a way to learn about yourself and the world a little more. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today's podcast is a bonus episode featuring nomadic Matt Kepnes, who in the last episode talked about his personal experiences as a digital nomad in the context of his new book, 10 Years a Nomad. Today, Matt and I unpack a 19-point list of travel advice from that book, specifically a section called 19 Lessons from a Decade of Travel that appears at the end of the book. Matt and I quite literally go point by point down that list and talk about why each of those travel lessons is important and how each lesson can make your journey more memorable and meaningful and life-changing. This episode is brought to you, as usual, by Tortuga, which makes hyper-functional packs for the vagabonding traveler. Packs like the Set Out Day Pack, which I've been using here in Paris. And what I love about the Set Out Day Pack is not just that it's ultra-light and super strong, but it can pack down to roughly the size of a tennis ball. On the flight over, it takes up almost no room in my main Tortuga pack, but once I'm in Paris, I store the bigger pack in my apartment, and I use the ultralight day pack as I walk around and explore the city. After 15 summers of teaching travel writing classes here, the Tortuga set out has helped me travel as light as I've ever been in this city. To check out the set out and other Tortuga packs, go to rolfpotts.com Tortuga. And if you find a pack you want to order for yourself, please use the promo code DEVIATE for a 10% discount at checkout. And if you have a big vagabonding journey in the works, or even if you're just dreaming of one, please check out my longtime partner, Airtrex, which makes round-the-world and multi-stop vagabonding trip planning incredibly simple, and even better, incredibly cheap. Check out their awesome travel planning tools online at airtrex.com, and if you book a flight there, be sure to tell them I sent you. All right, here's Nomadic Matt outlining the top 19 lessons he learned from one decade of world travel. So I'm back with Matt Kepnes, whose new book is 10 Years a Nomad. And in 10 Years a Nomad, he sort of ends the book with 19 lessons from a decade of travel. And since there's such useful lessons, I wanted to create a new bonus episode where we talk about those 19 lessons learned from a decade of travel and unpack them a little bit. So welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having me back. All right, so your 19 lessons are these. I'm going to read them all, and then we'll just go back from the top and go down the list and talk about what you mean by them. So one, it's not that hard. Two, you learn a lot of life skills. Three, you are never alone. Four, you meet some of your closest friends traveling. Five, relationships come and go on the road. Six, but chase the ones you like. Seven, it's good to try new things. Eight, be adventurous. Nine, there is no such thing as a mistake. 10, don't be cheap. 11, that said, don't be wasteful. 12, drop the guidebook. 13, it's never too late to change. 14, relax. 15, learn more languages. Seriously, learn more languages. 15, wear more sunscreen. 17, people are good. 18, there's no such thing as a must-see. And 19, just go. So let's jump up to the top of the list. Number one, it's not that hard. I tend to agree with this, but what do you mean by this, Matt? You're not going to space the first time. You're not mapping a, a mountain range. The, the travel trail is very well trodden. 
There are many services out there to help you go from point A to point B. If young kids fresh out of high school with no life experience can make this happen, you can make it happen too. Uh, we build up travel to be this like really difficult thing, especially in the, the States, you know, where we don't really have a, a long-term travel culture. Uh, so we think of it as, ooh, it's going to be so hard. But it's really not. It's just, you know, getting on the bus is getting on the bus no matter where you are. A subway is a subway. Uh, people can do this. People have done this. Millions of people are doing it as we have this conversation right now. And millions of people will continue to do it. Yeah. Trust yourself more. Truly, I think it's it's not that hard, but it's also it's not that dangerous. It's not that expensive. There's there's other there's other corollaries to this, and I think one big asset that that travelers have these days are things like you have your nomadic map blog. Other people, hundreds, probably thousands of blogs of just normal people going out and doing it and proving that it's not that hard. Uh, so let's go to number two. You learn a lot of life skills. It's funny, you know, in, in Vagabonding, I wrote that you should put travels on your resume instead of trying to hide them, you know, one year gap on your resume. And when, I, when the book first came out, people were a little freaked out about that. And I've gotten so much feedback over the years of people who put their travels on their resume, and that was a game changer. Like it actually made their resume more interesting. And in a concrete way, what do you mean by advice number two or lesson learned number two? You learn a lot of life skills. There on your own, you learn to navigate the world and trust your judgments. You know, you have to figure out, you know, is this person in front of me just trying to take a couple extra bucks or are they like putting me in a dangerous situation? You have to figure out the bus. You have to figure out how to get from point A to point B. You have to trust your judgment and you know learn to talk to people. Learn to talk to people in a variety of settings. You have to, in a way, learn charades and, and nonverbal communication because you don't speak the language. Uh, and so when you're by yourself, relying on yourself, you end up picking all these soft skills on how to deal with people that no university is going to teach you. That's great. What about number three? You are never alone. That almost sounds like that Michael Jackson song, but I think it, the context is a little bit different here. What do you mean on the road by you are never alone? Well, I think one of the fears people have about solo travel is that they're going to be alone. Oh, well, how will I make friends? Uh, and the truth is, you're going to meet so many people, you're going to want alone time. Because every time you step into a hostel, take a tour, uh, you know, go on a bus, you're talking to people, you're making new relationships, uh, you're making friendships. You know, there are always people out there. And so you, you're never really alone. Uh, and I found that that big worry of how will I make friends uh, never really came to fruition because everywhere I went, there were all there were always people who were like, "Hey, you want to hang out with us? You want to come sightsee with us? You want to come to this bar crawl with us? The hostel has an event. You take a free walking tour, and then you meet somebody from your state. And then you're like, "Well, let's go see this museum." You know, there's always people. Yeah, you know, this is something that often comes up. When I get questions about travel in the context of women, women say, well, 
what's it like to travel alone as a woman? And I usually say, well, oftentimes you're not really traveling alone because there's a lot of other women who are traveling alone and guys that are happy to travel with you. And it's it's almost as if there's you're always traveling in this rotating cast of characters, many whom, of whom are quite charming. And so I think that's one of the one of the least applicable fears, even if you're an introvert, and it sounds like you consider yourself one, and I consider myself one too, but it allows you to just be more socially fluid than you would normally be. Now, number four is sort of tied into this. It says you meet some of your closest friends traveling. Stripped away from all the baggage of back home, you can really create some deep friendships uh, because you're with people intensely for 24 hours, you know, you know, for however many days. And so it's not like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. It's like, no, you wake up, you do all these things together, you you have dinner, you go to bed, and you repeat. And so you're spending a lot of time with people and getting to know them uh, very intensely. And so, you know, these experiences stay with you. And so you know, the some of my best friends I've met traveling, and even though we only spent a few days together, we had such a a deep experience together we had, we spent such quality time together that they remain some of my best friends yeah it makes sense and i'm i'm exactly in the same way you also number 4 sort of or i'm sorry number 5 sort of touches on this as well relationships come and go on the road what does that mean you know just like friendships uh you're going to have very deep relationships with People. You're going to fall in love and break up in a very short period of time. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's just the nature of the road. You know, you're not looking for a husband or a wife or whatever um, when you're traveling. At least most people aren't. And because you're not dating, it's not, oh, I really like you. Can I take you to dinner next week? Next week, you're on a different continent. So you have to just sort of quicken the whole relationship cycle uh, when you're traveling, but then someone's going to be like, okay, that was fun. Now I have to go to the next destination. And you're like, great. That's really far from where I plan to be. So, uh, stay in touch. Yeah. And travel almost gives you permission to, to not be so, so not to overthink relationships in this way. You sort of have permission to have them be temporary, but also meaningful in a temporary way. And I think it, really until you travel, you don't really understand how that can be a thing. But then when you travel, it becomes more normal. And again, some of my listeners might be in long-term relationships already, so this doesn't apply to them. But for my listeners who are single, this is worth considering. Now, number six, you say, but chase the ones you like. I, I presume chase the relationships you like. What do you, what do you mean by that? When you're traveling, you are really beholden to no one uh, and no schedule. So if you really find someone you like, change your plans because you never know where it's going to go. And maybe it is only going to go one or two cities longer, uh, but you're not going to regret that. My biggest relationship regrets on the road is because I let my travel schedule or my work you know, dictate uh, the length of the relationship. I never let the relationship dictate itself. And so, you know, who cares if you miss some city? You're not going to regret that experience. It might, that person that you're letting go might turn out to be your life partner. Yeah, you know, this This is advice I give in another context. Often I tell people a good reason why you shouldn't micromanage is because you might fall in love with the place 
that you want to stay in longer just because you had no idea what it would be like until you actually showed up. And so it sounds like on the same token, you might not just fall in love with the place, you might fall in love with the person. And if you don't allow room in your itinerary to spend some time sort of getting to know this new person, you could miss a great opportunity. So that's that feels like a, an important point. Uh, number seven is sort of tied in, but it feels a little broader. It says it's good to try new things. When you're traveling, you are exposed to a lot of situations that you're probably not going to get back at home. So try new things. Push yourself out of your comfort zone. Uh, no one's going to judge you. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're not good at it. At least try it once. Uh, you know what I mean? I was never an adventurous eater before I, I went traveling and I've eaten like bugs and some of them have been actually really good. Uh, I have tried to get over my fear of heights very unsuccessfully, but you know, travel gives you a chance to keep pushing yourself and trying new things. Uh, and you're not really going to find out what you like and dislike and who you really are as a person if you just don't try new things. Yeah, I've been the same way. You know, I've, I've been surfing about six or ten times in my life. And they're all when I'm traveling. Like I just don't think in the United States I would be a person who would be a habitual surfer just because, I don't know, maybe I'm not that great at it or I, I'm not that habitual about it. But as a traveler, I feel like I have permission to try something that I'm not necessarily expert at. So that's a great thing for travelers to keep in mind, not only to try new things, but remember that they have permission to try any number of things even if they fail because who cares or he's, who's even going to notice if you fail. Um, number eight is be adventurous. What do you mean by that? So on the same token of trying new things, really sort of push yourself because um, when you challenge yourself physically, you you, you really get to um, know yourself better um, and, and gain a lot of confidence. Even if you're not going to be the world's expert surfer, um, just pushing yourself that way you know, makes you a better person. It makes you more confident in yourself. And so this is really just about getting yourself out of your comfort zone so you be a more confident person. You know, uh, go skydiving. Go on some trek. Push yourself physically, not just emotionally. Yeah, and there's a lot of great opportunities. I mean, there's some places – you might go to the Bolivian Andes or Nepal, and really most of the travel options are very physical travel options. They're going to be hikes or treks. You go to New Zealand, you might suddenly have a chance to do a canyon swing or a, or a bungee jump for the first time. And so if you're not prepared to embrace those, then you might be selling your travels a little bit short. A corollary there is really that you can be adventurous simply by going to a town that's not in your guidebook. I've had some great adventures just by going to to a town that might not be used to travelers and hence might be open to travelers some more. And in a way, this sort of ties into number nine, which is there no there is no such thing as a mistake. And, you know, talking about going to the wrong place, uh, when I was traveling around the world with no luggage nine years ago, I, I thought I was going to a place called Tetuan, Morocco, or Chefchaouen, Morocco. The taxi driver took me to Tetuan, Morocco, and it was it was a great mistake. It was such a great mistake. I spent the whole day there, and it was in a way better than what I later found at Chef Chawin. Um, and I'm sure you have a lot more specific examples of this, but what do you mean in your case by there's no such thing as a mistake? 
if travel is about learning about yourself and the world, you know, there's you can't really screw it up, right? I mean, you you end up in the wrong city that turns out to be a great experience. You get scammed and then you learn a lesson. You know, there is there is nothing like wrong. Everything is just a way to learn about yourself and the world a little more. And I think people worry that, oh, they have to be this perfect traveler that, you know, I, you can't screw up, but every traveler screws up. I mean, I still screw up. I'm sure you still make mistakes. You just did talked about one. And so I think that, um, Travel gives you permission to make mistakes a little bit more forgivingly than maybe life back at home does. And, and to just not worry about it. Just learn and move on. Absolutely. And I might add that even if you don't feel like you have permission, who's going to see you, right? You screw up and on the other side of the world and, and uh, nobody's keeping score. So that's great. Um, number 10 is don't be cheap. Yeah, I think as travelers, especially budget backpacker, long-term traveler, we don't want to spend a lot of money because we want to make our money last. We have an infinite amount of time and a finite amount of money. But that being said, you know, I'm all for saving money. Wait, did you really fly halfway around the world to not do anything? Did you live like a pauper while you saved this you know, piggy bank of, of travel funds to not you know, do the bungee jump you've always dreamed of, to not dive the Great Barrier Reef, to to not eat pasta in Italy, instead like cooking your, your hostel. You know, splurge once in a while and have these experiences that you're probably never going to have again uh, and that can really be some of the best you have when you travel. You know, that can, can be defining moments. And I think long-term travelers, especially they tend to be too, too cheap. You know, it, it's, it's okay to, to spend some money. You know, it, it's not a badge of honor to leave a country spending only 15 bucks a day, but have never seen anything. Yeah. I think sometimes this can be a competitive thing that super budget travelers who might be sharing hostels or buses sometimes look down their nose at someone who might spend more money than seems appropriate on a situation. But that's, that can be a really negative kind of competitiveness because um, sometimes we don't we, – instead of thinking in cheapness, we should really think of value. What, what is the value of eating that pasta meal in Italy? Well, it's going to be terrific. You know, what's the value of, of doing that canyon swing or bungee jump in New Zealand? It's probably going to be fantastic and memorable and worth doing. Um, number 11 says, that being saying, said, don't be wasteful. And so what do you mean by that? How do we strike this balance between not being too cheap yet not being wasteful? I think it's important to be frugal, right? You know, think of the think of value. You know, what are the things you're going to remember, right? What are the things you really really want to do and that can't be done somewhere else? You know, do that stuff, but don't always, you know, go out on a pub crawl every night, you know, go have a nice meal. Go Uber because it's easy. You know, it's really easy to spend money when you travel. You don't have to work. You don't have anything else to do today. You can just get up and go do stuff. Well, doing stuff does cost some money. Um, there's a lot of free things to do, of course. Uh, but food is expensive. If you're going to see 
uh, a museum every day, that's going to add up. Tours are going to add up. So, you know, pick and choose your battles. You know, find the ones, find the things that are going to be the most memorable and have the best value for what you want and do those things. And then, you know, save all the money for the other stuff. That sounds like something, too, that the more you travel, the better you'll get a sense for your instincts and what makes you happy as a traveler. You might discover after three or four months of travel or travel that you're not a museum person or maybe you really are a museum person or that you're not a guided tour person or you are a guided tour person. And so I think that part of not being wasteful and not spending your money on, on unenjoyable activities is part of knowing what you like. Um, Number 12 is drop the guidebook. What, uh, what, what does this mean? What's the danger in, in relying too much on the guidebook? As someone who makes guidebooks, I like guidebooks. You know, I, I write them. Uh, I carry them with me. But they're a good point of reference. They should not be your, your Bible. You should not only do the things in your book. And I think many travelers get glued to the guidebook. Like, where are we going to eat? What does the guidebook say? Where are we going to go? What does the guidebook say? Uh, you know, what's a good tour? What does the guidebook say? You know, and so they are great points of reference. They are the collective wisdom of years and years and decades in a destination from by many travel writers. Uh, so use them as a reference point. But you know, the best part about travel is the serendipity that happens when you just throw away the guidebook walk out your door and see what happens. You find that cafe, some restaurant, sit in a park, you know, wander down the street and come across this incredible, beautiful building that's not listed in the book. I completely agree. And I think this can also apply to like bucket lists or, or, or top 10 listicles or other advice that you find online, that there really is a prescribed way of travel, and it's great. There's a reason why these travel prescriptions exist, but it's when you deviate a little bit. It's when you wander off those suggested places into the serendipity of travel that travel really becomes memorable. Um, so number 13 says, it's never too late to change. What do you mean by that? Travel really allows you to be who you want to be and allows you to have a fresh start every day without worrying about what people might think. And uh, I think one of the themes in all these tips is that travel gives you a fresh start all the time. And I think we really, we really underestimate uh, just how strong the social anxiety uh, and the social triggers and our home environment has on who we are as a person. And so removing all of that uh, when you travel can really allow you to sort of shape who you are without the worry of what will people think and how will I be judged. And I think that that thought plays a bigger role in our our lives back at home than we really think it does. Yeah, I agree that, that you, you, you don't travel really to escape yourself. You're always stuck with yourself. But you can escape those societal prescriptions, those pressures, those that the timeline through which you know your friends and neighbors almost accidentally apply on your life on how you should live and travel is a great place to reconsider that and reconsider yourself as a person so that's a good thing number 14 is relax one word one word uh, lesson there relax what do you mean by that 
You have an infinite amount of time. Don't worry about it. Life unfolds the way it should. Um, you know, don't worry about the mistakes you make or the the people you meet. You know, tomorrow's a new day, and you know, in our modern materialistic consumerist society, you know, we are so very stressed. Like, you know, we're like the the rabbit uh, in Alice in Wonderland, right? You're always looking at the clock. You don't have to worry when you travel. You have nothing but time. Just, just relax. You know, the next bus is going to come. Uh, the the train will start again. The strike will be over. Your airport delay will write itself. Uh, you know, just just enjoy the the moment. That's a great early lesson of travel too. That you 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 have this beautifully planned itinerary, and then you start to get stressed when it falls apart, but. That can be a blessing of travel. Yeah, the next bus is going to go to the same place, and it might uh, might have some surprises on it, and you might uh, just sort of stay in a place that you hadn't expected to stay, and that place will change the way you look at the world. And you know, one thing too, I think people are often in a hurry in their twenties. They feel like they have to establish themselves and be successful, or get their job, or start the retirement plan in their twenties. But I've always told, told people that you have permission to waste your 20s. And by waste your 20s, I mean air quote, waste your 20s, which at no other time in your life do you have the same opportunity to try new things in a way that might not have the same kind of fallout as later in life. And travel is a great, great way to air quote, waste your 20s in just sampling and trying new things and, and not being so itinerary driven. Um, number, six, number 15 is learn more languages. Tell me about that one. No one expects you to be fluent in their language. Um, so don't worry about being fluent. But if you can learn a few basic phrases, it can really go a long way in sort of making your travel experience better. And it's very appreciated by the locals, right? They don't, they know you're not going to be able to converse with them deeply, you know, talk politics or, you know, philosophy. But if you can just say hello, uh, can I get to check? How are you? Goodbye. You know that can really go a long way. And I think, as an English speaker, a native English speaker, we take for granted the fact that we can go and say, "Hey, where's the bus?" And people are going to know what we're saying. But if you can just sort of say that in the local language, even if you butcher it, people are going to just appreciate that, and they're going to treat you a little bit better because. They know that you've tried, and that's all that matters. Just try. That counts for a lot. You know, I'm, I'm interviewing you from Paris right now, and you were just in Paris. And I've found over the years the French who have sort of a reputation of being a little bit surly with people who don't speak French are actually super sweet if you just show that you're trying to speak some French, but it's clear that you're not a fluent speaker. So a simple bonjour, monsieur, when you walk into a restaurant – you know, they're going to hear your American accent, but at the same time know that you're playing by the rules, that you're sort of announcing yourself as a non-speaker. So that, that can apply almost anywhere. I think it's especially pronounced in a place like France. But you can earn a lot of goodwill by learning a very few phrases. And if you stay in a place longer, you can learn more of the language. But almost any place you go, I think, one boring bus ride and you have enough time to learn some introductory phrases. So that's that's some great advice, I think. 16. Right, and that. Uh, oh, I'm oh, no, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to add that you can get some really good, funny travel moments, you know, talking to a local as you fumble over their language and they try to correct you and you have this sort of like fun experience where you're butchering their language and they're trying to correct you and you're all laughing and having, you know, just a fun time. And, you know, that creates for some good memories. Totally. Yeah. In our, in our goal driven society, we sometimes don't even consider that that can be a delightful and very memorable afternoon that you're just sort of, you're, you're sort of, you're having a conversation with someone that you're not really qualified to converse with yet. It's more charming than an understood conversation. So I think that's a great point. Um, 16 is a great point for someone like me who has fair skin. Wear more sunscreen. Yeah, this is just good life advice. Science has proven it. You know, as travelers, I notice so many people just don't wear sunscreen. You're going to just be in a lot of warm places, probably outside a lot. Just put some sunscreen on. When you're 50, your, your skin will thank you. Yeah, and that, that should include lip balm, too. Uh, when, when I, in my early vagabonding days when I was traveling a lot in Southeast Asia, I got this giant freckle on my lip that my dermatologist thought might be cancerous. He, he put some ni- liquid nitrogen on it, and it fell off. It wasn't cancerous, but it sort of put the fear in God in me to not just wear sunscreen, but to wear sunscreen lip balm as well. So cover your bases, and you'll be thankful for it when you get older. Um, three more on your list of travel lessons learned, which also double as good advice for people who are considering traveling. 17 is people are good. Yeah. Every day around the world, people wake up, they go to work, they worry about their weight, their health, their kids. Uh, they pick up laundry, they go grocery shopping. There is a, a rhythm to the human condition. Uh, that I think we don't recognize a lot, especially here in the States. Uh, And thus, people are very similar around the world, and they're generally good people. They want the best for themselves, their kids, and their friends, and their family. And they also want you, the traveler, to have the best experience in their destination, in their home, your destination, their home, because it's their home. You know, everyone has pride in their home. And so they will help you out if you get lost. They, you know, they're not all out to scam you. They just want to have a good conversation. And they're generally interested in why you are there. And this, I think, is especially true if you are in a place that doesn't see a lot of tourists. Parisians, oh, why you're in Paris. Everybody knows why you're in Paris. It's Paris. But like, if you're in some random village in the middle of France, it's like, why are you here? Like, how did you find this place? And what do you think of it? You know, if I was down in my suburb, like outside Boston, and I saw like a group of French tourists eating at my sub shop that I've been to my entire life, I would be really curious about it. And so, I think people are just generally good human beings, and um, it's easy to try to have your guard up, but you don't really need to have your guard up fully. Not everyone is out to hurt you. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with getting off the off the tourist trail, uh, and I often say that you know I'm from Kansas and I'm I'm based in Kansas when I'm not traveling. Kansans love to hear you know a, a foreign accent. You know they're very curious about people who come through because most foreigners who come to the United States. They'll start in like 
the Vegas, L.A., San Francisco triangle, uh, or they'll go to New York and Florida, but they won't often go smack in the middle. And the irony is that people in those less traveled places sort of have more time and more curiosity about outsiders, and this is a lesson that can really apply most anywhere in the world. Um, 18, there's no such thing as a must-see. Yeah, I think as travelers and even as travel writers, uh, we say like, oh, if you're going to visit Paris, like you have to see X, Y, Z. I was in Cambodia and this guy told me he skipped Angkor Wat. And I was like, you're crazy. What? It's Angkor Wat. How would you skip that? Um, And I think I always fall into this pattern, too. Like if you tell me you're going to London, I would say, oh, you have to go to the British Museum. You have to do this. But in reality, you don't really have to do anything. This is your trip. Uh, you own it. This is your experience, your journey. I there's a lot of things I don't like to see. You know, I didn't go to the killing fields. And I don't really like going to sort of like uh the concentration camps. As someone who's Jewish, I have grown up with this. I understand the history there. Um seeing death. And it's just not something like I, I can like handle as a person, so I'd skip it. But to other people, I'm crazy to skip it. But I just know myself, and this is how I want to have my trip. And so if you hate museums, skip the Louvre. You know, you're not going to have fun there. And at the end of the day, this is, you know, your trip, your experience, you know, you don't owe anybody an explanation as to why you've missed out on something. Yeah, I think it's good to get a sense for what you really love. And I, I think it should be it should be tempered by travel because sometimes you can surprise yourself and love things that you hadn't expected to love. But I think when people say, oh, you have to do this, it's often an expression of the fact that they loved it. But like you were saying, it's your trip. It's your experience. If you sort of know what you do and don't love or do know what you will and won't love, then um, it gives you a chance to, to be more discerning with those, you know, you have to go to this place. Mm-hmm. It's a must-see mm-hmm. type thing. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, this is not to say, like, don't leave your comfort zone. Like, you know, don't try new things. Always try new things. As we said before, be adventurous. Uh, push the limits. But you know, we can get really caught up and you know, not having visited places and there's sort of a social shaming that goes on with, you know, if you skip like the big sites, like if you skip the Louvre because you've been to 20 museums and you've hated them all. So you don't want to see a museum. Uh, you know, if you tried it and you know, you don't like it, you don't owe anybody an explanation because you didn't want to see it. You know what you're, you know, thyself. Yeah, and that's and this even dovetails with one of my pieces of agonizing advice. It's really about you're not traveling for other people. You know that at the at the end of the day, it's not a status thing. It's not a competition. That um, figure out what you love and just in, embrace what you love and and be accountable just to yourself. I mean, as you as you infer, there's some things that are good to be challenged to do. But if you know that you've burned out on museums, and maybe it's time to skip the Louvre because there's other beautiful things to see in France. You know, speaking of dovetailing with my vagabonding advice, I really love number 19, which is just go. So I think I'll give you the last word in this interview and make the case um, for listeners to just go on this trip of a lifetime type adventure. There is no time like the present. 
just go. I think a lot of people are worried, uh, as you mentioned earlier, about their career and the career break and you know what happens when travel you know you have this big gap in your resume because you've traveled you worry about being behind uh in life but the reality is most of us we're going to be working till well into old age you know the idea that we're going to work to 55 and get a corporate pension doesn't exist anymore and later on in life you're going to regret not going. Uh, jobs will come and go. Money will come and go. But you can never get back time. You know, and why save, you know, what is going to be the tr- an experience of a lifetime, something you can never really do again for when you're older, when maybe you're not as healthy. Uh, maybe you have family responsibilities that, that keep you home. And so I think, you know, you should just go. Um, you know, as you said, it's okay to waste your 20s and uh, it's okay to waste your 30s. It's okay to take a break in your 50s. You will never regret going. And so if you dreamed it, go because you can never get time back. I think that's one of my greatest lessons in travel is I've come to really realize that the most precious commodity in the entire world besides water is time and that you should not waste it because you your biggest regrets will revolve around the missed opportunities and so don't miss an opportunity to travel if you have the chance because decades from now you will always look back and be thankful you did it This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Matt's new book, 10 Years a Nomad, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.